Today's Bible reading will be from Mark 5, 21 to 43. On the non-fancy regular Holy Bible one, uh, that's page 710, and on the fancy one, it's page 1007. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers, named Jairus, came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman who was there had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she had heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they had said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anybody, anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went went where the child was. He took her by the hands and said, Talitha kom, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to, t- to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Thank you. Well, thank you, Thomas. Uh, friends, let's just pray before we uh, think about uh, that word more deeply. Father, we want to thank you for this uh, passage of Scripture. And uh, we do pray now that uh, you would be opening our minds and our hearts to giving us greater understanding and a greater uh, uh, confidence in uh, the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever been in a situation when uh, somebody urgently needed medical attention because their life is on the edge, their life is at risk. Uh, And at a time like that, um, you've become sort of very focused, don't you? Uh, You have tunnel vision because you're 
your sole goal is to, is to save that person, uh, perhaps to apply uh, first aid to them, uh, perhaps to get them to the hospital as quickly as possible, or even better, uh, sometimes to get the paramedics to them because the ambulance has got a better chance of uh, not getting stuck in the traffic. A few years ago, uh, Cassie and myself were the first people on the scene at a uh, very horrific uh, motor vehicle accident. And uh, we, we found ourselves totally focused on getting emergency help to the young man, the driver, who had been behind the wheel. But imagine that it's not a stranger who needs your help. Imagine that it's your child. Imagine that it's your daughter and she's sick. And I'm not talking about just uh, ordinary everyday uh, kind of sick. I'm talking about the kind of sickness that tells you that she is in very serious trouble. What wouldn't you do? You'd do anything, wouldn't you? You would do everything uh, to try to get her to the hospital or to try to get the, uh, the paramedics to her because her life is on the brink. And if you can imagine that, if you can imagine that, then you can get a sense of uh, what uh, a particular man, a man by the name of Jairus, who we meet in our passage today, what he was experiencing, what his situation was. Imagine the scene. Uh, in Mark chapter 5, which you might want to have open in your Bibles, as we saw last week, that uh, Jesus had been on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. He'd been in Gentile territory where uh, there was a man who had experienced uh, a great uh, liberation. Uh, he, Jesus had liberated a man who had been uh, possessed by evil spirits, by demons. Remember that? And the demons, uh, having been exorcised out of the man, uh, entered into some pigs and drowned the pigs... And the locals, uh, well, they were not thrilled about this. Uh, the locals wanted Jesus to leave. The locals wanted Jesus to go back to where he came from, uh, to the city of Capernaum, which was on the other side, on the western side of the Sea of, of Galilee. And so uh, Jesus returned to the, uh, Capernaum, where uh, he, the people responded to him in a rather different way. Uh, we, we see in uh, chapter 5, verse 21, that uh, as he arrived in Capernaum uh, by boat, that there was, a, there was a crowd there. There were people who'd gathered around, many people had gathered in a crowd because they wanted to be with Jesus. And in that crowd was a man, Jairus. Now, what do we know about Jairus? Well, we're told that he was a ruler of the local Capernaum synagogue. And that's, that means that he would have known Jesus. He would have met Jesus. Uh, he was one of the men who had the responsibility and the authority to, to look after the, the synagogue building. He was one of the men who had responsibility to uh, take care of the services, the Sabbath services uh, that took place in the synagogue, in that synagogue where Jesus had already been on a Sabbath, on multiple Sabbaths. Jesus had taught in the Capernaum synagogue. Jesus had driven out a demon in the Capernaum synagogue. Jesus had, you'll recall, healed a man 
who had a shriveled hand in the Capernaum synagogue. Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. Jairus knew Jesus and now it was Jairus who needed a miracle. Desperately. And we see something of how desperate his need was in verse 23, don't we? Because he, he, he comes to Jesus in the crowd and he jostles his way through to Jesus and he pleads with Jesus. How is he described as pleading? What's the word that's used there? The word is he pleaded earnestly. Earnestly. Now, I don't know, you know, words sometimes. A few years back when uh, at 100 kilometres per hour, uh, Cassie and I witnessed the out-of-control car in front of us on the highway, swerving from side to side, then fishtailing, then rolling over twice on the highway at 100 kilometres an hour and then driving and toppling down an embankment into trees. I don't actually think that the word earnestly captured the uh, sense of urgency in my voice when I spoke to the triple zero operator. <laughs> but sometimes it's hard to find the right word, isn't it? And here we see that Jairus, Jairus is pleading for his little girl's life. For that is what is at stake. His little girl was on the brink. My little daughter is dying. Please, he begs Jesus, come and put your hands on her that she may be healed and live. And so in verse 24, of course, Jesus went with him. But so did the whole crowd. The traffic joined Jesus on his way, shoulder to shoulder, as the little girl lay in her bed dying. Now, I wonder how Jairus might have felt about that. However, it sets the scene for another healing to take place, a healing to take place along the way. Let's pick it up at verse 25. And a woman who was there, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, and she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. And yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. I think that uh, during COVID-19, that as a society, our respect for the medical profession has actually increased further than what it had been previously, as they've guided us through this pandemic. In fact, I checked in 2021, uh, they once again topped the list of uh, the most respected professions. However, in the first century, uh, doctors didn't quite make that list. In fact, uh, in some contexts, they were close to the bottom of that list. Uh, listen to a, um, what was written about doctors in one of the Jewish texts at the time, uh, and it says, the best of doctors, and I quote, the best of doctors is worthy of Gehenna. And Gehenna was a, uh, a smouldering rubbish dump um, just outside of Jerusalem, which came to be like a metaphor for, for hell. Uh, they didn't always, not all of them thought that lowly of doctors. Um, some people thought that Locke had a bit of a respect for Dr Luke. But uh, when you um, 
consider the, uh, this lady's situation, uh, she'd been bleeding for 12 years, she'd seen many doctors, and all they did was send her broke. It's kind of not surprising when you read some of the medical, uh, some of the remedies that were used for that kind of condition at the time, and I've read some of them. I won't uh, go through the details with you, but uh, here's one just to capture it. Uh, the remedy for being a woman who is constantly bleeding is to carry with you in a little bag the ash of an ostrich egg. That'll do the trick. Uh, that'll sort you out. Another one was shock therapy. That'll fix it. Now, thankfully, gynaecology is not what it used to be. And plus, we have health insurance to pay for it, don't we? But being unwell and being broke was not this woman's only problem. Because in accordance with Leviticus chapter 15 in the law of Moses, uh, this constant bleeding made her constantly unclean, uh, ritually unclean and unable to partake in certain social contexts and unable to worship God at the temple. She was perpetually unclean and yet here she is. She's in the middle of a crowd. She's struggled, she's jostled to get near Jesus just so she can reach out and touch his clothes. Verse 28. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And she did. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt it. She actually felt it in her body that she had been freed from her suffering. You know who else felt it? Jesus felt it. And Jesus, we're told, in verse 29, he felt the miraculous uh, healing power depart from his body and so he, he actually turned to the crowd and he said to the crowd in verse 29 who touched me now if you or I were there at the time we might have thought that's a bit of a silly question uh, I mean in a crowd like that you know packed so tightly shoulder to shoulder and apparently the uh, the disciples thought the same way in verse 31 they says what do you mean what do you mean who touched you Lots of people are touching you. But you know what? There was one person in that crowd who knew exactly what he meant. Who touched me. And so she came forward. She dropped to her knees and in front of everyone, she told Jesus the whole truth. About her bleeding. About her uncleanness. About her suffering about her hopelessness. And how did she feel sharing that with Jesus? Well, she was in trembling and in fear. But she need not have been. Because have a look at how Jesus responded to her in verse 34. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, um, just a word about the word healed here. The, word which, the Greek word which is translated as healed is uh, a word which also means to be saved. And there are other words, which uh, uh, Greek words, which could be used to describe healing, uh, but the main word that's used to describe being saved is the word which is used here. 
It's the word for salvation. To be healed, to be saved physically, yes. More importantly, to be saved spiritually. And so literally what Jesus says here is, daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your suffering. Now, I reckon that uh, she might have preferred just to have been able to just get healed and just melt quietly back into the crowd, don't you? But uh, Jesus had uh, better things in store for her. Jesus had better things in mind. See, there was nothing magical about touching Jesus' clothes. It wasn't the touch of her hand which had healed her, which had saved her. It was her faith, her simple trust in Jesus. Go in peace, he says to her. Now, what does that mean? Uh, it sounds like it's something which is more than just, you know, be, you know, have some peace in mind that your bleeding has now stopped. In fact, um, when we uh, place our faith in Jesus, we all experience some peace, don't we? What is the peace we experience when we put our trust in Jesus? It's salvation peace. It's that peace of, of knowing that we are now members of God's family, made possible by his death on the cross for us. This lady, she fell at Jesus' feet in fear and in trembling. But how did she walk away? She walked away in peace, at peace. How does Jesus refer to her? He doesn't just call a woman, does he? He doesn't just call her lady, does he? How does he refer to her? He calls her daughter, daughter. Imagine that. She belongs to God's family. And in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, Paul says that when we place our faith in Jesus, when we trust in Jesus, then we too are saved. Then we too are members of God's family, sons and daughters of God. Now, of course, uh, this is a great story, isn't it? But whilst all of this is happening... There's actually another daughter who is in desperate need of Jesus. And have a look in verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just have faith, just believe. Uh, the woman uh, who had just been healed, she came to Jesus in fear, but she was f saved by her faith. And now it is Jairus' turn to have faith, not fear. And imagine Jairus. Imagine him uh, as the woman is being healed, as Jesus is caught up in the crowd, that Jesus you know, is there fretting, fretting perhaps like the, when the ambulance is stu stuck in traffic, uh, fretting that as Jesus had been slowed down, as Jesus was healing his daughter, that uh, his daughter would not uh, be gotten to in time. And now his fear is realised. And now he knows that it's too late. 
And now he knows that his daughter's life has been lost, that she is now dead. But why did Jairus go to Jesus? He went to Jesus because he believed that Jesus could heal his daughter. And what is it that he's now being told to believe? He's now being told to believe that Jesus is not only the Lord over sickness, he's not only the Lord over nature, but in fact that he is the Lord, he is the ruler over life itself. Now, in Jesus' day, when someone died, they employed some people to come to the house and to... um, and to play musical instruments and to sing certain very sad, dirgy songs and to dance around in a circle and to cry and to weep and to mourn and to howl. And these people were um, professional mourners. Sounds strange, but it actually happens in cultures even today, in some cultures. And it seems that these professional mourners were already there They knew that the the girl was about to die. They were just ready to go because in verse 38, when Jesus arrived there, there was already this noisy commotion with people who were wailing and crying and making a loud noise, crying which was so professional that it very easily turned to laughter when Jesus announced that this girl was not dead but she's actually asleep. Now, some of you work in hospitals and you've got more experience in this than me. I've only ever been with a corpse on um, a handful or so of occasions. But in my experience, the difference between someone being dead and someone being asleep has always been pretty obvious uh, when you're there, when you see it. They were not wrong, these professional mourners, The little girl's life had drained away. But what was Jairus to do? Don't be afraid, said Jesus. Just believe. Have faith. And so in verse 40, uh, with just three of his disciples, Jesus cleared out all of the professional mourners out of the house Uh, They didn't get to see this, and rightfully so, with three of his disciples, with James, with uh, John, and with another one, (laughs) Peter, that'll do, James and John and Peter, and the little girl's mum and dad, Jesus went to where the girl was, where she lay. And think about the parents. Um, Can you imagine their feelings? Can you imagine that? If it were me, I would just want to... I just want to turn back the hands of time, wouldn't you? But with death, there is no turning back. It's so final. It's why we grieve. Now, sometimes in the Gospels, the... The words which Jesus spoke were so profoundly important that they're not not just recorded for us in the Greek. Uh, Jesus spoke a language which is called Aramaic, 
uh, but the Bible was written in the Greek language. And we see a number of examples of that, uh, where the actual Aramaic is recorded for us. Think about Jesus on the cross. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a situation where a man who was both um, deaf and mute, he couldn't, he couldn't speak and he couldn't hear. Talk about communication difficulties for the disabled. And when he was healed, Epaphra is what Jesus speaks. A profound moment. Have a look in verse 41. Here by her bedside, with her parents and with his three disciples, Jesus took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which Mark explains is translated as little girl, I say to you, get up. And she did. She did. And those present were not just astonished. They weren't just astonished as if you'd be astonished if Jesus had healed a sick, people, a sick person. But we're told that they were completely astonished. It says that they were astonished with complete astonishment. This is astonishment upon astonishment upon astonishment because they had been and they knew that they had been in the very presence of death. But now, well, imagine the parents' tears, not of grief, but of joy as their 12-year-old stood up, walked around, and Jesus said that she needs some food. Jairus may very well have been anxious as Jesus got caught up uh, with the woman who needed healing. But if Jesus had arrived before the girl had died, then this victory over death would never have happened. Don't be afraid, Jesus said. Just believe. And did you notice in verse 43 that uh, Jesus then gave the parents and his three disciples uh, very strict instructions that they were not to tell anyone about what had happened. And it's a bit hard to do when the girl actually then starts walking around. But um, I, you know, it seems that Jesus didn't want any more sightseers joining the, the crowd that was already pressing around him. And we know that this is not a permanent secret to be kept because if it were a permanent secret to be kept, then we wouldn't be reading about it in Mark's Gospel, would we? No, we wouldn't. Indeed, within a couple of years, everyone would know about resurrection. Everyone would know about Jesus' victory over death as Jesus himself was raised from the dead. You see, when Jesus grasped the lifeless hand of that little girl, he became unclean. You don't touch the, a corpse. He became unclean, but she became alive. Just as when Jesus died on the cross, that he became unclean, that he became sin so that we can be saved. 
We can be forgiven. We can have peace with God forever. The healing of the woman and the raising of the girl are signs. Signs that God's kingdom is present in Jesus. Signs that the effects of the fall, of sin, of death and of judgment are being reversed. And signs which point to a heavenly future. Where in Revelation 21, in John's vision of heaven, we see that in the heavenly reality that there will be no more pain, there will be no more grief, no more crying, there will be no more death. In fact, it pictures it so nicely that we will all drink the waters of the stream of life. We will drink from the stream of living water forever and forever. Your faith has saved you, said Jesus to the woman. Go in peace. So I want to ask you, do you have that peace? That peace of knowing that Jesus has died for you, that he's victorious over life, that peace that you know that you are now part of God's family because you've put your trust in Jesus. You know, the thing about faith is that it's not how big your faith is. Uh, the woman uh, expressed her faith by just simply uh, touching the clothes of Jesus. No, it's, it's who you put your faith in that counts. She trusted in Jesus. There's a lady who uh, shared with me about one of her family members who had been very, very religious all of his life. Uh, she said that uh, from a, a little child he would go to church every Sunday, that in fact he uh, had a position, he had a role, he, he served in his church all of his life. And yet, and yet as he was on his deathbed, she told me, that he was in fear, that he was afraid of dying, that he was afraid of what would happen to him afterwards, that he was dying in fear. And she said to me, how could that be? He's been going to church all of his life. He's been doing this, that and the other for God. How could he be? And I said to her, perhaps it's because he trusted in his religion rather than in Jesus. Rather than in Jesus. Friends, the death of Jesus for our sins and his resurrection from the dead mean that we have no fear. We have no reason to be fearful of death. And we have every reason to be confident in the future. So that like the hymn writer that we can sing, Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Don't be afraid, said Jesus to Jairus. Just believe. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, uh, we want to thank you for the great confidence that we can have uh, in uh, life eternal because of Jesus, because of who he is and what he's done for us. We pray, Lord God, that you would uh, enable us to uh, be trusting in Jesus and live lives knowing that we have a sure and certain eternal future and that our lives would be shaped by that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.